0: Well, thank you, Marquita. Good morning, church. Looking forward to being in God's Word with you together this morning in John chapter five. Uh, I did, I was inspired by my friends last week who wore their purple shirts, and I wore my purple shirt. I'm just so cold that I have to wear a coat on top of it this morning. But I was inspired to wear my purple post-Easter uh, this morning. Uh, I want us to consider where we've been because Jesus concludes uh, this scene in John chapter 5 uh, this morning in, in the text that Marquita read for us. Uh, the scene started as, as we've been walking through the Gospel of John uh, week by week, Sunday after Sunday, up to this point. Uh, the Apostle John has been putting Jesus on display as the Son of God, both by His words and by His works. And uh, He he has revealed to uh, at least John's readers Jesus' first two miracles in the changing of water to wine uh, in John chapter 2, and then closing in John chapter uh, 4, where we saw Jesus healing the official's son from a distance, uh, not even being present there with him. Uh, And so John chapter 5 then, having uh, already laid the groundwork for Jesus being the Son of God, John chapter 5 began with Jesus traveling back to Jerusalem uh, on a specific day uh, of a specific Feast. The, the day was the Sabbath on a, a, at a specific feast, uh, entering into Jerusalem through a specific gate, coming to a specific well to a specific man and healing this man to display his power and to display his identity as the Son of God. And he heals this man, uh, this man who had been lame for 38 years. And that's his physical circumstances, but I want you to consider that, that this is the spiritual circumstance of the people that he has been talking to, both in the passage that we looked at last week and the passage we're going to finish looking at today. 38-year invalid, uh, lame man. This is the spiritual circumstance of the Jews that Jesus is speaking to, and it was last week... Uh, After Jesus healed the man, I think both physically, for he took up his mat and walked, but also spiritually because he found himself worshiping in the temple after that, Jesus began addressing these Jews who were seeking him out to persecute him and even kill him. And he spoke to them and he gave them this marvelous truth that he was uh, like father, like son that he would only do what his father showed him to do, and only say what his father showed him to say, that he had the power of life and of judgment. This was the marvelous truth we saw Jesus share with uh, his his listeners last week. It was followed by a gospel promise, uh, one that uh, If you believe in Him, not if you do a bunch of good works, not if you follow a bunch of rules, not if you memorize a bunch of scriptures, not if your church attendance is perfect, not if your offering envelope is full, not if you're this, that, or the other, but if you simply receive Jesus as He has presented Himself as the Son of God, you will enjoy life and not have to face judgment. That's the gospel. That's the hope that we have because Jesus himself left heaven, came to earth to live a perfect and sinless life, to face the judgment in our place, to absorb the wrath of God for us who believe, uh, and yet to die on the cross in that judgment, to be buried and to rise from the dead on the third day. That's the hope. He took it for us. And so if we simply receive who he is, believe upon him, we enjoy the life. We don't have to face the judgment. And yet there was a timely warning, a warning that said, now is the time to believe in the son. There is a time now, he said, and is already here when you can believe in the son. But there is a time coming when all will face judgment, judgment for our sins or, or judgment um and raised uh, will be raised raised to uh, enjoy life with God or raised to face judgment for our sins. And so Jesus finishes that marvelous truth. He he finishes that gospel promise. He lays out that timely warning and he continues on in his speech to these Jews. And it's here where Jesus if you can imagine a courtroom situation, he both um, chooses to defend himself um, by standing uh, in the in the box. He is himself taking the stand for himself, but he's also calling certain witnesses to to uh, attest for him. Not only that is while he's in the stand. He is going to then turn the tables on those that he's speaking to and put them on the stand in the end. It's a, uh, an amazing scene if you imagine it that way in this courtroom setting, Jesus taking the stand, defending himself, and then turning the tables and accusing those that he is speaking to. And so, with that in the back of your mind, that courtroom scene, this is the the fundamental truth, the simple truth that you need to uh, realize that Jesus is going to make clear in this passage is this it's that Jesus is approved while mankind stands accused. After all of the witnesses, after all of the testimony that Jesus brings, After all of the the arguments in this courtroom scene that Jesus brings to the forefront of our ears and our minds and our hearts, it's this. Jesus is approved while mankind stands accused. We'll see the approval in uh, the first uh, verses, 31 through 37, Uh, And then we'll see the uh, accusation of the Jews and both of us as well, if it's fitting, in 37b through the rest of the chapter 47. And this is really going to speak to uh, really several different groups of people. And and so if you come in here as a Christian uh, aiming to be encouraged in your faith today, one one of our church members maybe, Going out into the world week by week, hearing arguments against Christianity, hearing uh, refutations against the Christian faith, this, that, or the other, and you've come here to be around, to be in a safe place, to be around those who believe the same thing. I hope you're encouraged to go back out into the world again, realizing that Jesus could have brought anything up in this courtroom scene. And he brings up these things to prove that his his identity and our Christian faith in his identity is on solid ground. And I hope you're assured of your faith in Jesus Christ today. I I hope you're strengthened in that, uh, to know that Jesus gave you a great argument to to stand on. Um, Maybe you come in here just considering the claims of Christ Maybe you're not a Christian, Uh, maybe you're wondering, Uh, you know some Christians, maybe they've invited you here, maybe you're considering the claims of Christ, Uh, and I think this is who John is writing to. John has written this entire book, this entire gospel uh, of Jesus Christ to those, as we've seen in in the end of his letter, he says that these are written to so that you might believe. John has recorded Jesus' words. Hearing them himself, he's recording them now for generations later that they would see Jesus' argument and believe. Right then, right now, believe, as Marquita prayed earlier in her prayer. But maybe you come in and you'd call yourself a Christian. You'd call yourself a worshiper you think you're pretty good i mean if you look at the to-dos and and not to-dos in the bible i mean you're pretty good i mean your checklist is pretty legit uh you you know some bible verses you grew up in church you uh you, you know you've done a lot of good things that in fact is the audience that jesus is speaking to i, I mean these guys that he's speaking to they could trump all of us. As far as Bible memory, they, they got Awana trumped. I mean, they've got so many Bible verse badges on their vest, it's not even funny. They, they have uh, more rules than even the Bible has listed out uh, done uh, because they've added many to it. And so this is, this is a challenge to, to those who may be religious Uh, maybe even call themselves Christians and may think that they've been doing a lot of good and uh, that kind of thing. It's a call to humble thyself in the sight of the Lord and to receive Jesus Christ, not to build your faith on a bunch of your own works, but on Christ and his work, ultimately his work on the cross and in the resurrection. So let's look at the courtroom scene together. Let's consider Jesus' words, where he ended in verse 30 last week, "I can do nothing of my own. as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The will of him who sent him was of his Father's will. And so when Jesus says in Verse 30 lo- 31, he says, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not, keyword, deemed true. My, my word is not, my testimony is not deemed true. Yet there is a, another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. The another that Jesus mentions there in context is obviously his father. He knows that it's, he, he alone is not bearing witness about himself. He's not this lunatic as C.S. Lewis uh, supposed that some would call him, just a one-off man who's going off and claiming to be the Christ and claiming to be the Messiah but can't back it up has nobody else bearing testimony or witness about him. He's just a crazy man who's senile and uh, needs to be cared for well by others. Jesus is not that. Jesus has another who's testifying with him, and it's his heavenly Father. And yet Jesus knows these Jews really well. And so even though Jesus has shared with them this marvelous truth, this gospel promise, and this timely warning, he steps back for a second. And he says, but look, I know that if it's just my words alone, you're not going to deem them true. I know this because I know the scriptures that you hold to. And so Jesus brings up this idea from Deuteronomy chapter 19 verse 15. It's also in Deuteronomy 17.6, Numbers 35.30, but it's this idea that these Jews have in the back of their mind. And and it may be the the same idea, though without biblical reference, that some of the people you face this week may have in mind. How do we know that Jesus is true? How do we know that the Bible is true? How do we know that someone just didn't make all this stuff up and wrote it uh, in some Uh, some dark room or uh, with with some group of of people together. How how do we know all of this? Well, Jesus knows that they have that same thing. How do we know that you're true? Because they hold to this, this law in Deuteronomy 19.15. A single witness shall not suffice against the person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. So this uh, held both in Jesus' favor, um, but also he was able to turn it and use it against them. So they needed more than one witness to be able to prove that he wasn't who he said he was, the Son of God, and he could also use it to his advantage to be able to prove to them that he was the Son of God. It's, it's a logistical genius here on, uh, uh, on Jesus' part. He is using the very word that they hold uh, high in their minds and have memorized uh, to use against them and, and for himself. And at the end of this, what you're going to see is that Jesus uses not only this one law, but he's going to bring up witnesses that he trusts. And so with that background uh, in, in mind of the Jews, Jesus bringing it to the forefront, now Jesus in this courtroom scene defending himself, taking the stand himself, he's going to bring three witnesses. Not just himself testifying for himself. He's going to bring three witnesses up front who are going to testify on his behalf. And these witnesses are, uh, funny enough, are trusted by these individuals, by these Jews. The first is John the Baptist. So look in verse 33. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, But I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in His light. He calls John to the stand and as John comes up, um, he says, you in fact sent your own representatives to John to question him And John bore witness to the truth, and you were fine with John for a while, but now you're not okay with John's testimony. And so this goes back to the earlier account in the Gospel of John from John chapter 1, where the Apostle John introduces us to John the Baptist in John chapter 1, verse 7. And it says that he came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And then later in John chapter 1, verse 19, it was these priests and Levites, these Jews who, who sent uh, the priests and Levites to John the Baptist to question him, saying, who are you? in which Jesus responded, I'm not the Christ. And they continued questioning him, saying, well, are you Elijah? Are you Moses? Who, who are you? Are you the prophet? And John the Baptist said, no, I'm just one crying out in the wilderness, make straight uh, the way of the Lord. And so they had already tried to question John the Baptist. They had already tried to test him to see uh, if his testimony failed at some point, and it didn't, uh, he didn't claim to be the light. He came to claim to just be a witness to the light, and, and they were fine with that for a while. They took that back and they uh, shared it with the Jews whom uh, they had been sent by. And, and Jesus brings this uh, up in this passage where John never claimed in verse eight, in chapter one, verse eight. He never claimed to be the light he just came to bear witness about the light where in verse 35 it says he was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light um, they were excited about hearing from john the baptist that the messiah was coming They were excited to hear that this One whom they had been waiting for for hundreds and thousands of years was was near His coming. John the Baptist said, make way the paths. Make way your life. Make it straight for the Lord. Prepare the way for Him. And they were excited to hear that. But then when Jesus actually showed up, when Jesus actually showed up, uh, and began to do all of these things that the Messiah was supposed to do, but also called himself the Son of the Father, making himself equal with God, they say, whoa, whoa, whoa. wait a second, that's a little too much, Messiah. Th- that's, that's a little too much. They loved John the Baptist's testimony that the Messiah was coming, and they stayed in his light for a little bit, but when the actual light of Jesus started to shine even more brightly on them, they didn't like it. They didn't like being exposed in their sin and needing a savior. Re- again, remember, these people Jesus is speaking to are spiritually what the lame man was physically. Uh, they're dead in their sins and trespasses. And Jesus is, as he'll say in John 8:12, the light of the world. John the Baptist was just a a lamp, just a little bitty lamp who had been lit by the light to uh, shine a little bit for a little bit of time until it was blown out. John the Baptist may be even a a fulfillment of Psalm 132 in verse 17. Excuse me, I'm going to mute for a second. There we go. John the Baptist could be a fulfillment of, uh, of Psalm 132, verse 17, where it says, There I will make a horn to sprout for David, and I have prepared a lamp for my anointed one, my Messiah, my Christ. John the Baptist being the last really Old Testament prophet Uh, preparing the way for the Christ. But it's not just John the Baptist. He goes beyond that. And in verse 36, Jesus says, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And so the second witness, the second testimony that Jesus calls forward to defend himself after John the Baptist is his very own works, of which just moments potentially, uh, or at least that day or the day earlier, Jesus has healed this 38-year invalid at the Pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. That kind of work Jesus says is even a greater testimony than John and his words about the coming Messiah. Why is that? Why are jesus 's works the uh, changing of water to wine as as, as spread as that uh, you know whoever might have heard about that, or the healing of the official's son, his family at least, and others may who have heard of that. But now even after John chapter 5, this public miracle in Jerusalem, on the feast, on the Sabbath, so many people hearing about it, why are Jesus' works uh, a witness to his identity? It's because throughout the Old Testament, um, there would be promises and prophecies of what the Messiah would look like when he came. What He would say when He came. What He would do when He came. And in Isaiah 35, verse 5 and 6, it's, it's one of the clearest regarding these miracles and signs of Jesus. Isaiah 35, verse 5 and 6, it talks about it written hundreds of years before Jesus came on the stage. Speaking of the time of the Messiah, it says, "...then the eyes of the blind will be opened." The ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The Jews were to be looking for those types of signs and miracles. And when those things began to happen, they should have recognized that the Messiah was on the scene. that The Christ had arrived. And those things were happening most publicly at their feast. On the Sabbath, and yet they were not accepting Jesus' works as proof of his identity, which was going to be, in the end, used against them. And so Jesus is bringing forth John the Baptist. Jesus is bringing forth his own works of healing this lame man, which, if we just fast forward through the rest of John, he's also going to heal a blind man in John chapter 9. Uh, as another fulfillment of Isaiah 35. But he goes another step further. These Jews who held God the Father in the utmost regard, Jesus says, is actually his third witness that he brings to the stand attesting to his identity. We see this in verse 37. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. The Father himself. What is Jesus speaking about here? There's a, in a general sense, we can say that the Father has attested to the Son by uh, what Jesus said earlier, giving him both life and judgment and how we see that played out. But I think that there may even be a a more specific example uh, that would have been known by some of these Jews who were in Jerusalem. Uh, Even though they may have not been witnesses to it, they likely would have heard about it. And John's readers probably were aware of it as well some maybe 50, 60 years later, and that is the baptism of Jesus. Um, Jesus is bringing up the fact that His very own Father who sent Him has Himself witnessed about Him. And so we can think back. It's not told in the Gospel of John, uh, but it's told in the other Gospels, uh, specifically in Matthew and Luke, of Jesus' baptism, where Jesus had come to John the Baptist to be baptized himself, um, both uh, as, a, uh, as a example um, to us, but to also fulfill um, the, the law. And so when Jesus comes to John the Baptist to be baptized, in that moment, John the Baptist didn't want any part of it. In fact, he wanted Jesus to baptize him. Uh, but Jesus said, no, it must be this way. And so John The Baptist baptizes Jesus, and in that moment it says that the Spirit descended, the heavens opened, the Spirit descended upon Jesus like a a dove would descend upon uh, the ground. And it says that God the Father spoke from heaven. Matthew chapter 3 records it this way in verse 17: Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And this was the very thing that these Jews had a problem with Jesus. That he was calling God his Father. And yet the Father had boomed from heaven, his voice echoing over the earth, and said, in fact, this is my Son. So the fact that Jesus said, He is my Father, is just... Reiterating the same thing that God the Father had already said. And so Jesus brings God the Father to the stand to say, I've already told you who Jesus is. He is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. John the Baptist, um, Jesus' very own works, and God the Father, Jesus brings forth all to show that he is approved. This is the approval of Jesus laid out in Jesus, Jesus taking the stand in defense of himself, bringing forth um, three witnesses testifying uh, of His own identity. This is, this is a great uh, example of, of Jesus meeting these Jews right where they're at, um, using their own knowledge using their own um, scriptures even um, to show who He is, but also to, to begin to lay the foundation to begin accusing them. And that's where Jesus uh, begins to turn the tables. Having already shown Himself approved, look at the second half of verse 37. He he then begins to look out at those who have accused him, and, and he begins to turn the tables and accuse them. Having just spoken of the Father, who had borne witness of him at his baptism, Jesus says, his voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Those are strong words to this group of Jews that are listening to Jesus. They who have treasured God's word in the Old Testament for years uh, themselves, decades themselves, devoting themselves to memorizing it, um, knowing it, interpreting it, and yet. Jesus is saying, you've never even heard his word. Because if you've heard his word, as he'll go on to say, you would have believed in me. You have never even seen his form. Um, Even though Jesus himself is the image of the invisible God. They have yet to recognize that Jesus is God. And he's saying, you don't have his word uh, abiding in you because you do not believe in the one whom he has sent. Later on in this passage, he's going to bring up the idea of, of Moses accusing them. And it's interesting to consider that Moses was their hero. Moses was their father. Moses, who literally heard the word of God, Speaking Moses, who though he didn't see God himself, he saw the the glory of God in the cloud and in the fire, uh, in the tabernacle. Uh, Moses, who heard the words of God and believed and looked forward to the one whom he had sent, and so now, having accused them of never hearing his voice, um, having never seen him, having never had his word in him, he brings forth. Three witnesses now against them. So he's brought forth three witnesses for himself to prove his identity. Now he's going to bring forth three witnesses accusing them, uh, as Deuteronomy 19 said must happen. The first in his accusation against the Jews, the first witness in his accusation against the Jews uh, is the Scriptures. Look in verse 39. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The Jews that Jesus is speaking to really did believe that in diligent study, and in searching the Scriptures, in even memorizing the Scriptures, that they had life. That, that there was some life to be had in just simply memorizing God's Word as, as an act of memory. That's, that's why they devoted these things uh, to careful repetition. And Jesus actually begins by commending them. You search the scripture, Scriptures Well done, he's almost saying. they're, They're almost like, as described in Acts chapter 17 later, as the Bereans who search the Scriptures diligently to make sure the things that are being said by Paul and others are actually so. But then there lies the difference because in searching the Scriptures, they never saw Christ. In searching the Scriptures... They never saw the promise of the Messiah who was to come. They don't see Jesus as the fulfillment of those promises. And so, therefore, they haven't come to Jesus. They'd been searching the Scriptures for eternal life, but eternal life was found in Jesus Christ, and they didn't see it. They had been too blinded by their memory, too blinded by the laws too blinded by this external obedience to actually see the hope that, that came in Jesus. They don't have the Word of God in them because they refuse Jesus who is the Word of God. And Jesus is saying that the Old Testament, or Jesus is saying that He in fact is the whole point and is the... Uh, the centrality of the old testament we see this in several other places in the new testament you could look at luke chapter 24 when after jesus has died on the cross been buried in the tomb and raised on the third day he meets some of his followers on uh, a distant road and there uh, when jesus reveals who he is to them it says that uh, he Uh, opened up the Scriptures with them and from the the law and the books of Moses and from the Psalms and the prophets, he showed them all of the things in the Old Testament concerning himself. Uh, So Jesus is saying, both in this passage and in Luke chapter 24 and in several other places, the whole Old Testament is about me. Yeah, it may not uh, be as clear as it is now, but the whole Old Testament is about me. John the, Bab- or, uh, the Apostle John has already made this clear in the Gospel of John in verse 3 already when Jesus himself brought up one of their Old Testament stories of when Moses and Israel had a plague come upon them in the form of snakes And God told Moses to make a bronze snake on a pole and lift it up, and all who looked at this bronze serpent would be healed and would live. And Jesus said, I'm like that statue. I too am going to be lifted up, and you must look to me. And so there were these images, there were these forms, there were these sayings in the Old Testament that if the Jews that Jesus is speaking to on this day were actually really careful to look. They would have seen Jesus on every page of the Scripture. All of those laws that they uh, were memorizing, they would have seen not just a simple to-do list. What they would have seen is a list that they never could accomplish on their own. They would have seen a list that someone had to come and fulfill for them and die in their place so that they could be forgiven of their sins. And so Jesus commends them at first, saying, you search the Scriptures, but in the end, He condemns them because those Scriptures bore witness about Him, and yet they are refusing to come to Him for life. The very fact, that these Jews were seeking to persecute Him and even kill Him was proof that they did not believe Him and proof that they actually didn't believe the Scriptures that they had searched and memorized themselves. But He goes beyond that. He not only brings the Scriptures as a witness, uh, He brings their own works against them. Jesus brought His works to the stand to testify uh, for him and his approval, but now he's bringing their works to the stand to say, your, your works stand against you. Your own works are accusing you. How does he say that? How does he prove this point? Well, he contrasts himself with the Jews. Look in verse 41. Jesus says, I do not receive glory from people which is going to come to mean that you, in fact, do want to receive glory from people. You don't want to receive glory from God. You want to receive glory from people. But Jesus says, first and foremost, I don't. I don't want to receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. How does Jesus know that they don't have the love of God within them? He says in verse 43, I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. But if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Jesus, this is kind of getting to the idea where Jesus said, you were happy with John the Baptist for a while, sitting in his light, waiting for the Messiah, but as soon as I came on the scene and said, I come in my Father's name, you didn't want anything to do with me. But if there's another messiah out there that does a few signs and miracles and rises up to oh let's just say be king of Jerusalem and overthrow the romans then you would love him. But if if I come and I don't seek that kind of glory from man and I seek my father's glory, you want nothing to do with me. In fact, you want uh you you want to seek me out and persecute and kill me. And so Jesus is bringing their own works to the stand. They have not received him. Verse 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another? I do not seek the glory that com- uh, and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Uh, Jesus is bringing their own works against them saying, yeah, you search the scriptures, but you've missed the point of the Scriptures. I'm the point of the Scriptures. And not only that, you're searching the Scriptures, memorizing the Scriptures, trying to obey all of these Scriptures so that you'll get glory from man. You're not doing this as an act of worship to the Lord. You're just seeking to make yourself better than the other people so that they'll look up to you. This is a challenge to any of us who think that any sort of uh, act of obedience to God can make ourselves look better in front of one another. As if when we stand before God, we're going to be able to call one another up and say, hey, will you tell them how much I gave to the church? Hey, will you tell them how, how, how often I was present at church? And will you tell them how nice I was? Will you tell them all of those kinds of things? No, we're, we're going to have one person to call to stand on our behalf. And it's Jesus Christ. And these Jews were seeking to live in such a way not to give God honor and glory and to receive his commendation in the end. They were seeking to get commendation from others. See, simply looking, trying to look better on the outside than on the inside. And so Jesus brings their own works against them in his accusation against them. But in the end, Jesus brings their great hero and patriarch of the faith, Moses, against them to accuse them. In verse 45, do not think, Jesus says, that I will accuse you to the Father. Essentially saying, I don't have to. I won't have to in the end. In the end, it's going to be Moses. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. And I just want you to lock into that phrase for a second. Consider on whom they have set their hope. Another man. A sinful man at that. They had put their hope on Moses and and his writings, his, his word, his law in the Old Testament. Verse 46, for if you believed Moses, you would have believed me. For he wrote Of me, Jesus said. But if you do not believe in his writings, how will you believe in my words? It's interesting that in this passage, when Jesus says, I'm not going to even have to stand up and accuse you to my father, Moses is going to do it for me. Because Moses wrote about me. And you're searching these scriptures but you're not even finding me. You're memorizing and obeying all of these scriptures uh, in hopes of looking good in front of other men, not to look, uh, not to honor the Lord. And really, Moses wrote about me multiple times. I've mentioned one already, but here's probably the most clear that I think Jesus is referring to. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 18. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses records God's words And in verse 18, he records God saying, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So Jesus just brings this word that they think they treasure so much, he's bringing it up against them. And he's saying, in the end, Moses is going to condemn you because you have not listened to the one whom God had sent, who has his words in them. And God on that day will require it of them. This is is damning for these Jews because Jesus has just brought the Scriptures, their own works, and Moses himself uh, up to the stand as witnesses against them, accusing them of their own sin and their own need of salvation. They had been seeking Jesus out. They had been seeking to persecute him and, and kill him, questioning him, trying to bring him up on the stand to prove in front of all that he was untrustworthy that he was blaspheming God, claiming that God was his father and that he was his son. And in the end, Jesus defended himself with more than one witness, uh, with several witnesses, the very witnesses, if Jesus could have brought up anything, any witnesses at this point, he could have. And yet these are the ones that he brings up to prove himself beyond a shadow of a doubt to this crew, to this crowd that's before him on this day. And yet in the end, he turned the tables and shows that they're the ones who actually have witnesses accusing them before the Father. This is our reality as well. Uh, Those of us who have come to believe in Jesus have realized that already at some point in life, that if we were to stand before God, there would be nothing good that we could say on our behalf, that we would stand accused having fallen short, uh, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that. And knowing that, we've seen that Jesus is our only hope. Moses and his law, just obeying a bunch of rules, we realized was not going to be our hope because we tried. And we found out we could only do it a day or maybe a week, maybe a month. And then we would eventually fall short. And so we put our hope in Jesus, who perfectly obeyed everything that Moses wrote, who perfectly obeyed all of God's laws, uh, displayed his righteousness to the world, and then willingly gave up his own life to die on the cross, to take our place, to take our punishment. The Bible says that he absorbed the wrath of God for the sin of mankind on the cross. He was buried, and yet he rose victorious from over sin and death uh, in his resurrection from the grave. Those of us who have come to recognize that, we have believed on, on Jesus. have I, I pray that you're assured of your salvation this morning, that it's not on a bunch of rules or a prayer you prayed or some water you got in, but it's your hope is in Jesus who obeyed on your behalf. Uh, who had the testimony and witness of the Father over him at his own baptism, of which we followed him in his likeness, Uh, that our hope is in Jesus. But if you came in here trusting in your own good works, if you came in here like these Jews and were to stand before God this afternoon, for if you die today or the Lord returns and you stand before God, and you have all of your good works and all of your Bible Bible memory lists and all of your patches on your vest and all of your this, that, or the other, and you were to lay that before the Lord, He would say, you are still lacking. You are still wanting because you didn't receive the one whom I sent in my name. You didn't repent of your sins. You didn't believe upon Him who died in your place and rose from the dead. You thought that You could do this on your own. And that's true of any who would hold to a works-based faith and call it Christianity. That's true of any other world religion who would hold to a works-based salvation in some some other God uh, that they call upon. That's true of anybody who's attempting to earn their own uh, salvation. To be able to bring their own works as a witness for them in the end. In the end, God will say, Your works are lacking, for you have not received the one I sent in my name. Uh, But this is also helpful for the person who may be here this morning just considering the claims of of Jesus. And and I hope you hear Jesus defending himself. when he could have defended himself in any way he wanted as God. He chose to defend himself on this day in this way, and it's enough. Jesus could have done another miracle, but in this moment, on this day, he chose to bring these witnesses up approving of him and these witnesses up against and accusing these others. And I hope you see that Jesus is on solid ground. He is the firm foundation on whom we ought to build our lives in. These Jews whom Jesus was speaking to had put their hope in Moses. Had put their hope in another man. What are you putting your hope in? That if you were to die today or Jesus were to return Where is your hope? Is it in another person? Is it in another example of what it means to be a good person? Is it in yourself? Earlier we sang, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. This is what Jesus got at in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 7. And I'll close with this Will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. We need to build our lives, build our hope, build our faith on Jesus Christ and His Word. And later on in John chapter 6, the works that he calls us to do, he says in chapter 6, verse 29, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Let me urge you today, believe in Christ in whom the Father has sent. He is approved by uh, many witnesses, just as we too all stand accused by many witnesses before him. Let's pray. Father, would you encourage us as believers this morning, assure us of the solid rock on whom we have built our faith, Jesus Christ, and let us go out with great confidence this morning in the midst of a world that is standing on shaky ground. God, I pray that you would challenge the person that's here this morning who has built their hope on their own works Uh, has built their hope on another person. God, would you help them to realize that the only person worth building their life on, worth, worth putting their hope in, is Jesus Christ. He who is both Son of God and Son of Man, who died and rose from the dead. And God, I pray for that person who's just simply considering the claims of Christ. I pray that they would see Jesus' logical, uh, supernatural argument on this day thousands of years ago to this crowd who didn't believe in Him and, and see that He could have brought forth uh, any work or any witness to the stand and, and yet He brought these to the stand to prove Himself this day. And that they go far beyond... Um, anything we could ask for. I pray they would be convinced in their heart by your Holy Spirit uh, to that, uh, your Holy Spirit who opens their spiritual eyes just as you have opened physical eyes before. That you would open their spiritual ears just as you have opened physical ears. That you would give them a new heart to believe these things. And so God, would you have your way in us. We thank you for your revelation of yourself in your word, and we praise you for it this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.